because she's got a great ass and you've got your head all the way up in it that was damn good it's michael mann people hi this is karen from san francisco and this is alex from los angeles and welcome to movies that shaped us we're two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds but we're both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love in this episode we'll cover a filmmaker in this case a director who shaped our love of film so like you said, Karan, and maybe folks picked up on my Al Pacino impression and can remember that <laughs> great line from Heat. We're talking about Michael Mann today. This has got a Ferrari coming out on Christmas Day. Both of us are excited about that one. So we thought it was a perfect opportunity to go back and look at all of his full, full filmography and talk about how he shaped our love of film. So do you want to do you want to start, Karan, and then I can give my thoughts on Mann? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's one of our seminal filmmakers, and especially for, I think, you and I, like 90s kids, mm-hmm. if you will. And as we'll get to, like his 90s run is sort of unmatched in his storytelling and filmmaking. And in many ways sort of captures, even though I was not living in this country, but it captures like America, sort of, you know, big and bold and powerful and moving fast and movie stars and iconic lines, like the one you just covered. Like all that is to me, very much Hollywood, very much America, even from the outside. And that's sort of what Michael Mann has always represented to me. Movies that are larger than life, entertaining, but have something to say, are epic in their scope, but they're not fantastical. They're always rooted pretty much in present time, barring a few exceptions. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, Mohicans is sure in there, but I don't, you know, think of him as like a period filmmaker. These are contemporary movies dealing Mm -hmm. with contemporary issues, a bit exaggerated, a bit over the top in acting and storytelling and music and all of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a great time at the movies, essentially, is what I associate man with. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely second all the things the things you mentioned. I mean, for me, he's one of the most important directors, not only because I like love all of his films and have seen them many, many times, but it's his sense of visual style. And then mm-hmm. he puts such an onus on the mise-en-scene, which is a, a term we've covered before. Mm-hmm. It basically means, you know, the shot composition, what's in the shot, um, the editing techniques, the music, and some of his sequences that he's put on film. I mean, honestly, most of his movies contain at least one scene that is one of my favorite scenes put on film. Like right. if I were to look at like my top 20 scenes ever made, like half of them would be Michael Mann. And it all just goes down his <laughs> eye. And he was really the one that that opened my eyes up, no pun intended, to the power of like what a cinematographer does and how shot composition mm-hmm. works and how you can use the, the framing and the placement of objects within the shot to be on the theme and to stick with the message. I mean, I, Insider was really the first film of his that, that I saw where my whole eyes were opened up to this whole new world of how to look at film. It's one of the most, we covered it on the podcast before, but it's definitely one of the most important films to me that opened up not only my love of cinema, but then going back and watching all these Michael Mann films and following his career ever since then with with each film. And I think too, what, what makes him such a singular artist is he has a very specific like vision and theme in every movie. It's always a male protagonist who has a very specific set of rules and morals that he lives by. And those are tested. He has to push back against the world. It's him against the world. It's a very lonely, isolated protagonist. Troubled Um, guy. Troubled. Yeah. Troubled men, but they're, they're really holding on to something. And that is challenged by everything else around them. And I, I find that very fascinating. His care, the character studies, he gives a lot of great actors, a lot of great, performances mm-hmm. um you know we talked about russell crowe and pacino and the insider but you know daniel day lewis and last mohicans and uh you know uh, miami vice with uh, colin farrell like these are really meaty parts 
that these that, but that there's not a lot there which i think is great too like on paper they're they're very thin but he gives these 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 characters weight through the visual style that he has and very right. subtle things um he, it's very subtle but at the same time like you were saying earlier very melodramatic and big and bold it's not done through dialogue he's a very visual filmmaker and that you know resonates a lot with me just as a i i, I love the and pay attention a lot to the visuals that's what michael mann always ticks all all my boxes but i uh, i just yeah he's just a singular talent, like you said, and one of the best American filmmakers working today. I cannot wait for Ferrari to zoom into theaters on Christmas <laughs> <day>. <laughs> Yeah. And when you sing like iconic sequences, I was thinking about that, that they're so varied, right? From like a sit-down diner scene to car chases to kind of, you know, epic sort of battle sequences, the mm-hmm. way Mohicans has. So it's a pretty varied sense of iconic sequences which is also kind of amazing mm-hmm. and then on the actor part like you're right there's not much dialogue although there are lines and monologues like you know christopher Plummer's monologue from the insiders oh yes you no know, amazing, amazing yeah. and such but there's i can tell that even though this is like an action filmmaker uh, that's kind of how i classify him oh interesting okay but i i still think that there's a lot of great collaboration between him and his actors to kind of really find the character and yes it's visual but it's the actors really bring it like it's mm-hmm. not just your i mean you could say that what's his face the transformers guy the director michael bay michael right. bay you could sort of say that oh michael bay is kind of operating in a similar register like action mm-hmm. movies but i wouldn't call him a director's actor and i think that's right. a big difference amongst many other differences between the two where mm-hmm. I think man really cares about his actors and the collaboration there and what these actors bring to the table. I mean, some of, for all the actors that you mentioned, Michael Mann's movies are in their kind of pantheon of movies. Right, right. Some of their best performances he's, right. he's got out of them. Yes. And Tom Cruise, probably one of his oh, best performances. Oh, for sure. In Collateral. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think too, you know, when I mentioned like not a lot of dialogue, I think it's these scenes, the very key scenes in the film where he has to convey what the character is going through. And it's usually silent. I mean, there's music, right. but it's usually very contemplative, typically with the character in water or looking out at water, being yeah. near a body of water. And, uh, you know, there's a scene from Thief where he's sitting out looking in front of, uh, you know, Lake Michigan and Manhunter. They're sitting on a beach and these scenes that are not much is going on, but everything is going on. And that's right. that's what I just love about about man. It's not spelled out, but it's all there. And a lot of the it comes to the actors and what yeah. their 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 performances are like a scene we talked about in our episode about the insider when Russell Crowe's kind of sitting there in the chair and thinking back to everything that he left behind right. with his daughter and everything it's he's not saying anything but you can see it in his face like what are the the weight of his decisions of going up against the tobacco company basically losing his family like what was that was the cost worth it to him and you can see it all just in his performance but he definitely is an actor's um director for sure and that's yeah. why I think why he attracts the top talent I mean, like you said yeah. he's been with every you know kind of a-list male talent I mean I will say He's not, you know, he d- just doesn't make movie about female characters. He just, no. he just doesn't. That's not in his wheelhouse. It's not, I think, something to fault him for. He just, that's no. not who he is as a, as a no. director. It's always, there's some strong female characters in his movies, right. but they're centered always around a, a troubled male in some way, whether it's, you know, usually a cop or a criminal or, you know, cause those, those, those guys have codes. These yeah. people have to have some kind of code that they're, that they're, they're fighting against. Yeah. Exactly. They're fighting for, right. Against every, everything else. Just, yeah. uh, just an amazing, amazing filmmaker. I also associate him with just a lot of cool and sexiness, right? Mm. Like these movies are the, I think it kind of comes from the visual style, but also because he 
always cast these like, you know, male leads who are immaculately presented to you. I mean, they are usually beautiful people are presented mm -hmm. to you, even though flawed and, and such, but there's right. a lot of style to the movie making. The movies are sexy. The music also, though melodramatic, kind of amps up the sex appeal. There's a lot of like saxophone and mm -hmm. beats going on and such, which in the insider, I was very distracted by. Oh. I can never forget. <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah, one of my favorite favorite soundtracks of all time, but I, I yeah. Just I, can't yeah. get that out of my head and not yeah. laugh. But there's a lot of sexy, I think, uh, to his movies. No, that's actually a good point. And, you know, as we get into his filmography, we will talk about his films. Yeah. But he also had a major cultural resonance on television. Now, he executive produced Miami Vice, the TV show in the 80s, that really did change the game for TV forever. And mm -hmm. he did bring in style and substance. I won't say style over substance. He has style right. and substance. But style was missing from TV, from drama TV. Nothing had ever been done that was done in Miami Vice, which is a show I've not seen. I have seen the pilot, the extended pilot episodes, like 90 minutes. He didn't direct it, but he EP'd right. it. Um, and a lot of the decisions that were made were not his. They were the director of that that episode. But it is like a, a, a big bang goes. I mean, that show is so different than anything else that's been on TV that it's that coolness that you mentioned. I think he brings yeah. that into all of his films too. There is this cool slickness. It's a lot of style, but there's so much substance to all those style right. choices. It's not just empty style. Like, you know, right. you brought up Michael Bay already. Right. You've got a lot of style, but there's nothing behind that. And, you know, right. that's why sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But with right. Michael Mann, there is a coolness, a slickness, this sense of style. There's a lot to it and a lot behind it. I totally agree. Okay. Should we jump into his filmography? Yeah, let's do that. And for folks who haven't listened to these episodes before, what we do now is go over the entire, in this case, director's uh, filmography and break it into what we think are phases. I and mean, every artist has different phases that they go through. So with Michael Mann, we have three of them. And we're going to jump into the first phase now, which which uh, we think or does begin with Jericho Mile, which was a TV movie, but his first full-length feature that he directed, and then ends with Manhunter. So it's Jericho Mile, Thief, The Keep, and Manhunter. So this is him starting out. Now, he has a style pretty much from the get-go, honestly. Like, Thief still looks like the Michael Mann we know today. It's not like he mm -hmm. needed to develop his style, but he was taking the style and putting it in a lot of different genres. Um, Jericho Miles, a prison drama. Thief is a crime drama. The Keep is a supernatural thriller. And Manhunter is a serial killer film. And mm -hmm. he's, his technique is is his the sense of style, the sense of um, coolness is given in all three of these films, um, and it well, too, I think it's it's worth pointing out that the Thief, Manhunter, and The Keep all did use these synth scores. So he partnered mm. with uh, synth artists at the time to have a fully synthesized score, which is something that was not as prevalent as it is today, obviously. There's a lot of movies do this, but it was, again, bringing music into this and, and, and making these films feel more alive, these very interesting scores, which, I mean, The Thief score by Tangerine Dream, which is a pop act, I mean, I listen to that all the time. And mm. it's just such a, it works really well in that movie of setting up this, this cool, like MTV, like ethos because mm. of, because of the soundtrack. So, um, I, have you seen any of these films? We can talk more about, uh, some of them if you haven't. No, I haven't seen any of them, but I'd love kind of, if, if I were to prioritize watching any of these, which ones should I watch? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think these also like for listeners, I mean, you might've heard of some of these films, but they're not his most iconic or most popular film. So if you're kind of looking for a guide to, I would definitely recommend starting with Manhunter, which is his mm. adaptation of the Thomas Harris book, Red Dragon. This is actually mm. the first time uh, Hannibal Lecter has been on screen before Signs of the Lambs. So played uh. brilliantly by Brian Cox. Like, yes, 
Anthony Hopkins, that's an iconic performance, but there is a little bit of a, a goofiness to it. His performance is a little cartoonish in what he does, whereas, whereas Brian Cox, it's chillingly like real and grounded and terrifying in a way mm -hmm. that even like the uh, Anthony Hopkins, again, one of the greatest performances of all time. I'm not trying to slag it off, but mm -hmm. it's it's a different vibe that I actually I think Manhunter is a much scarier film. It's got, uh, again, one sequence towards the end where they're trying to catch the criminal. He's about to kill this woman. A set to Inagana DeVita, the the, the mm. 60s pop like rock song that is just absolutely chilling. Um, just an incredible, incredible film. And something that, again that to mention with Michael Mann is he frequently goes back and redoes his films, his director's cuts. And I highly recommend the director's cut of Manhunter, which is much better than the theatrical version that uh, that I would definitely recommend checking out. Yeah, um, that's good to know. Yeah, that one definitely. And also, honestly, the Jericho Mile, his first film, which is like a prison drama about a, a, a runner who is is sent to prison and uh, he you know could have qualified for the Olympics and it's sort of a testament of again one man sort of standing up against you know the the, the criminal system and has a very very powerful end montage set to a Rolling Stones song that is incredible mm -hmm. and I you know it's his first I actually took me a while to track this movie down I think it was released theatrically overseas but only aired on TV in the U S in the seventies back when TV movies meant something. Um, you know, Spielberg directed TV movies. I mean, this was like a, a medium you could really sink your teeth into. And like today where they're all like, you know, mm -hmm. kind of bad, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely worth, worth hunting down. It's now on Blu-ray. You can, you can get it. And I was just blown away by how powerful it was. And a lot of the themes of what Michael Mann's whole career are laid out in this first movie. And the style's not there yet. It's definitely, you know, much more straightforward in terms of the style, unlike Thief. But I, that's the other one I'd, uh, I'd recommend. I mean, honestly, all these, except for The Keep, is is not good. The Keep is not good. Michael Mann disowned it, basically. Like, it's hard to track down. There's no HD transfer. Mm. I've only seen it once. That's definitely his worst film. So I, I would avoid that. But the, the other three in here, I definitely would check out. Okay, good to know. You know, the other thing that struck me as you were talking about, even though I've not seen these movies, I've seen obviously the other Michael Mann movies, there seems to be like a parallel between him and Fincher mm. in the sense of like style and substance, but also yeah. kind of this music video quality of like music is a really important part. It's often paired with the visuals and, you know, used for dramatic effect from a storytelling standpoint. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that? It just struck me right now. Yeah, no, I think there is some parallels to to give or to make between those those two directors. It's interesting, actually, you know, Fincher came up, like we mentioned in our Fincher episode, through music yeah. videos and commercials. Right. And that was not Michael Mann's original background. Like, he's gone on to direct some of my favorite commercials of all time, but mm -hmm. that's not where he came from. But I wonder if Fincher was inspired a lot by what Michael brought, especially into, you know, they even called like um, Miami Vice was called MTV Cops. Like that was a nickname for it. And maybe even how they sold the show because mm -hmm. it was, there's so much an element of like MTV editing and music being mm -hmm. such an important part of that show, which again, Michael Mann EP'd. And because Fincher started in music videos, I wonder if that is sort of the the parallel there because they both yeah. they both use music in different forms, but both mu use music so much in, in, their, in their films. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. All right, should we move on to phase two? Yeah, let's move on to his second phase. So this is... The Last of Mohicans, Heat, The Insider, Ali, and then Collateral. So this is phase two. This is when he is truly at the top of his game, working with Bangers. biggest stars in the world from you know Al Pacino, Robert De Niro in Heat, Insider, Pacino again in Russell Crowe, Ali, Will Smith, Collateral, uh, Tom, Tom Cruise, Last of Mohicans with Daniel Day-Lewis. 
And these are all major box office hits, big critical acclaim. Like he really was on top of the world. And they're all, like you said, bangers. These are his master. This is his masterpiece phase. I mean, you cannot argue that these are not some of the greatest American films of all time and all coming from him in this one, this one time period of nineties and early two thousands. So what, yeah. What are the standouts here? It sounds like this is maybe when you came to man, like yeah. in this, in this time period. I mean, these are all incredible. Ali maybe works less to so, varying yeah. degrees, less mm -hmm. so, because I think maybe that's more of an attempt to make like a classic sort of, you know, Hollywood Oscar-y type movie, but mm -hmm. still very well made for sure. But to me, Heat is obviously the standout. That's the one I've mm -hmm. seen the most number of times. And it's just watching those two guys together the whole ensemble cast, Val oh, Kilmer, yeah. everybody. Size more, yeah. LA and the iconic chases, the iconic diner scene. Like that movie is sort of imprinted and it's still very much part of the culture consciousness, more so than any Michael Mann movie, I would argue. And the fact that there are talks of Heat 2, I'm oh, yeah. excited it's about coming. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this movie is interesting as well, which again is I, I'm, I'm incredible. Like I love Heat a mm. lot, uh, much like you do. This actually is a remake of a, a TV movie that he did called L.A. Takedown that is essentially the same script. Like you can huh. go and, and see the diner scene, you know, word for word, the same as Pacino De Niro, but with these other two actors. Again, I'm not oh. trying to, I'm not trying to slog off these other actors or anything. However, it is so clear. You can really tell what real talent is when you compare it to people that are less talented. The movie uh. is just not that good. And it's the same yeah. movie. I mean, it's shot on a lower budget. But the really the difference there is just the acting caliber of yeah. Pacino, De Niro, Bal Kimmer, like you mentioned. It makes such a difference. And it's fascinating just to see, okay, this is a movie that is basically the same script, smaller scale with TV actors and a little bit of bigger scale, but with some of the greatest actors that have ever been on you know, the silver screen. And yeah. you really can see the power of what a good performance does. And also how Michael Mann, like you mentioned earlier, works with actors and is definitely an actor's director. He can get these performances out of Pacino and De Niro that are some of their best and they've done some of the best on-screen performances of all time. And, and these are some of their bet, their best works. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know about that, but that says a lot, which is why I think it's in the latter phase of his career, it's maybe I'm sure a little bit of Michael Mann, but also mm -hmm. some of the casting choices that probably don't work very mm -hmm. well versus right. in this case that works really well. But, but yeah, this whole stretch is pretty incredible across the board we covered collateral in a previous episode mm -hmm. which to me is probably tom cruise's best or the best la movies ever made that's yep. the episode we had this for it's fun to see someone like daniel day lewis working with michael mann as well yes uh, yes and maybe the only historical epic michael mann has done so that's kind of cool as well i haven't seen the movie in a long time probably should go and rewatch it but yeah uh, this is like the height of his powers for sure no definitely and, and we also talked about the insider on another right. episode as well like i mentioned so i won't get into those films because we've covered them but I'll, I'll definitely talk about uh, mohicans a bit it's it's i think that movie is also just incredible and it's just interesting to see him take his style and his themes and move from you know present day which is you right. know, other than the keep all this is his first phase movies are set in the present move it into the past and it still work. And he still gives like just a, a, gives us an incredible picture that is epic on scale, great action, but also again, a, a man kind of fighting against uh, both the colonial powers. And then also this uh, rival Indian tribe and in Natty Bumpo played by Daniel Day-Lewis. And the last 
10 minutes of that movie, which is on no dialogue. It's just a chase sequence into the, yeah. into the hills, through the woods with this incredible score is again, like I, one of my top Badass 10. Scenes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing scenes of all time. And he's again, Michael Mann at the top of his powers, like you said, just gorgeous shots of the, you know, New England countryside and uh, just just incredible. But you wouldn't think a guy who had before that made, you know, a, a serial killer movie in Manhunter right. could jump into the past and use all his still techniques and still just blow it out of the water. I mean, I yeah, that that movie is uh, is a 10 out of 10, too. It's so good. Yeah. What a great phase. But from here on out, we enter in. I guess the phase we are currently in. Yeah, yeah, phase three. So so this is Miami Vice, Public Enemies, Black Hat, and then soon to be Ferrari. And th this phase is, like you were hinting at, I think, is definitely less successful commercially. None of these three films were a huge hit. I mean, Public Enemies did really well because off the backs of Johnny Depp, but it wasn't mm. as big of a hit as, as the films in the 90s. They were not no longer, you know, major awards contenders like all of his films in the 90s kind of were at least in those considerations. And uh, definitely, I think people, even big fans were starting to kind of, of Michael Mann, were starting to wonder, like, is he kind of, did he lose his way or not in, in this phase? And I think another thing that's really key to point out as well is that starting with Ali, really cemented in this phase was his use of, of HD photography over film. Like, he was one of the early proponents to switching over, um, used it in Ali collateral most of the movie was shot in hd and i think that gives the this this the sense of uh that weird sort of la where it's never really dark at night that purple mm -hmm. haze is such a great use of, of hd mm -hmm. but then controversially uses it for public enemies which is a historical film set in mm -hmm. that time period of the 30s but it's shot on digital and it looks like it's shot on digital and he did that to make the film more resonant and feel more real instead of the ways that a lot of directors do oh, it's sapia tone and we're making it look right. like it's in the past um he wanted to bring a sense of urgency and relevancy to the tale i think it works honestly the use of hd at least i mean that film is is not not one of my favorite ones of his but i think he was unfairly kind of maligned for the use of use of hd in that film but i don't know i'll actually stand up for all three of these films i mean miami vice is especially that is the director's cut version that that i'll that i'll talk about is is one of my favorite movies actually it's a uh, Definitely all about the vibes and the mood. There's not much on the plot. Um, the acting is super subtle between um, mm. Colin Farrell, who does an incredible job, even though the whole time, I guess he was drunk and doesn't remember filming it because he was uh, that was during his yep. low, low period in terms of his addiction. And uh, there's a lot of problems on set here with dealing with hurricanes. Jamie Foxx walking off the picture halfway through because he didn't feel safe. He just left because they were shooting in Central America and there were like a shooting that was going on near the set. And he's like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not going to mm -hmm. make this movie anymore. So they had to kind of cobble together an ending that was not what they originally planned. But I still it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's literally the style is dialed up to a thousand. And I just want to be enveloped in this world. And there is substance to this movie, too. But I think this was taking style to the extreme in terms mm -hmm. of how he dealt dealt with this one. Just uh, I want to just be in this world <laughs> of this Miami, Miami, which this aesthetic is just uh, incredible. And the HD photography in, in Miami and then in Central America is just some beautiful, like absolutely beautiful to behold. Incredible. Yeah, so I I'll, haven't seen I'll defend this one. Any of these, but... I should probably go and see them because I've heard defenders from, you know, all across for each of these, which I guess says a lot, right? That people really care for Michael Mann and what he puts out there. And even if these movies may not be universally appreciated or beloved, they are cult movies in their own right. And mm -hmm. including Black Hat, which I keep hearing that there's like a director's cut of that, which 
seemingly is way better. Yes. Yeah, I will say I'll defend that movie, too. I mean, it's not one of my favorites either, but it's definitely not as much of a failure as people said. And I think it is due to the director's cut. So that actually just came out on Blu-ray for the first time two mm-hmm. weeks ago. So it's relatively recent, a release. And I, I did rewatch the director's cut, which I'd seen a, a bootlegged version of it a couple mm-hmm. years back. And it's much better film as a director's cut. It's still not one of my favorites. I think something you were hinting at earlier is he's not maybe acting or using the top actor and talent right. in this phase as much. Um, though I, I will say it's mainly just Black Hat. I think you look at Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, and Jamie Foxx. I mean, you can't get can't get bigger than that on those first two films. But yeah, Black Hat, it is a little bit of a, a step yeah. down on Chris Hemsworth, who is fine in it. But I mean, I can imagine that being another actor with a little more chops that could carry that film a little bit more. But I definitely recommend checking out the director's cut. Like, don't even bother with the theatrical version of yeah. Black Hat. But uh, the director's cut is is good. Like, again, I'll defend all three of these. I'm a huge Michael Mann defender, apologist, whatever you want to say. <laughs> but uh, I highly recommend people look at, especially Miami Vice, just make sure it's the, the director's cut version. Yeah, it sort of says something about kind of the times that we are living in, that we are no longer in the movie star period, mm, right? And right, right. You could argue that a lot of Michael Mann's success, in fact, you just said that with the Heat example, that the previous version of the movie was just with lesser actors, lesser movie stars, and it doesn't work as well. And so maybe that's a big part of sort of what has happened with at least this last chapter. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens with Ferrari, but... Of all these, it sounds like Black Hat got the most amount of heat, no pun intended. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's a right? giant it's flop. Yeah, giant a flop. huge flop, and, yeah. And I think Chris Hemsworth, who's fine, that's the word I would use for him. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. A lot of these directors, they tried to make something out of him more than Thor, right? Like with other movies like Rush or the Shipwreck movie. There oh, are a Heart bunch of the of, Sea. Yeah. Right, there are a bunch yeah. of movies that are outside of... MCU that and none of them worked because mm-hmm. people thought that oh we could have like a legitimate bona fide movie star here and uh, he is but he's not you know in the same league as the people we had before obviously no definitely by not. far yeah no I think, I think that's a good point that that you're raising like and if because he did rely so much especially at the height of his powers Michael Mann yeah. on these stars that are also great and actors. actors stars that are right they're both and if we don't have that really anymore. Then the, without the star, you can't bring in the box office. And then if you, you're, you know, if you're just relying on a person that has a little bit of a star but not the acting chops like Hemsworth, then the performance isn't as good. So yeah. maybe he's a victim of just the the change of the the industry in terms of how the industry's yeah. going. Like it's harder for him to do what he does so well. But like you said, we'll see with Ferrari. I mean, Adam Driver is not a movie star. I think he's more of an actor than a movie star. But the the movie still looks great, and Penelope Cruz is also just a fantastic mm-hmm. actress. So we'll see when she gets is a movie star. I would argue she is. Yeah, I would argue. Yeah, she, she she'd be a movie star. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So so then and actually, I guess Driver now is a movie star. You think so? I think so. All the people that we have right now, how mm. many people mm. have you know you could say are in that league who've worked with That's top true. directors, also been in a Star Wars series and are known because of that? Like they're very few people if anybody else in that register i mean i guess he's it you know you could maybe oscar maybe isaac say, maybe would be i was similar, thinking of maybe. him but he hasn't had the same level of exposure the no. way adam driver has that's true that's true yeah we'll see what happens with far i'll definitely be there maybe not christmas day but day after <laughs> check it checking that out so speaking of the future what would you this is the part of the episode where we talk about you know what we'd like to see this director do or give him or her advice on what they should do 
What are your thoughts on on man? It's a tough one. Um, I kind of feel like sort of going back to his present day, you know, set in LA vibe mm-hmm. is what I would like to see him. So in some ways, like if there are talks of Heat too, oh yeah, that's happening. I think that's the yeah. exact direction I I want him to go to because even Ferrari is a pre- period movie, right? Mm-hmm. In a different time and such. Right. It'll be fun to, for him to get back to present day, working with top talent that we have right now, mm-hmm. you know, using the music we have today, maybe work with, uh, speaking of Fincher, work with Res- Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross and see mm, what that collaboration might lead to. So yeah, that's what I would like him to do. What about you? Yeah, I was I was going to say the same, just do what he's going to do, which is he too. I think yeah. he, in terms of like box office, that is his probably most iconic film. So having yeah. a, a sequel to it, I think will help bring him back some commercial success that would help him then get some more blank checks afterwards to do some more interesting projects. Though he is really old, so I'm not sure how many more yeah. movies he wants to make. But I have not read Heat 2, but I heard it's great. Like the novel came out this year and it's got really good reviews that this mm. isn't like sort of a knockoff cheap sequel. This is actually mm. something that is worthy of being made into a film what I've heard again, I haven't read it. So I'm definitely excited that that does seem to be like his, the next project he's, he's doing. I mean, it's like they're casting it and it's gonna, it's, it's gonna happen, which is, uh, which is great. It's driver and Oscar Isaac, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which are two of my favorite actors working right now. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah. We'll see how well, I mean, the fact that driver's coming back after working with him on Ferrari means that must've been a good collaboration for both of them. And they were happy with the output because he doesn't use actors often twice now that i right. think about it michael mann doesn't i mean if jamie fox i guess was in ali and collateral i'm sorry ali, ali collateral and then also miami vice right there was a bit of a uh a period he had with jamie fox but it's not like he ever worked with tom again or depp again or i guess yeah, he pacino he did twice heat right. and uh an insider but yeah it's rare does he go back to the the well like a scorsese with a leo or the uh yeah, i think that I'm speaks good that. i think it's a good thing the other thing i would want him to maybe do because he's done past period movies but it'll be fun to see like a michael mann sci-fi epic of sorts. oh interesting you like know a set in a future but has kind of la vibes to this future not dystopian per se i'm not thinking blade runnery but i don't know what would a michael mann sci-fi movie yeah. look like I that that is cool yeah that would i mean he one of his styles too is all, like very grounded in like there's a very very sense of reality in all of his movies right. that is very grounded even though there's a lot of melodramatic flares to the filming mm-hmm. techniques and things but it would be interesting to see then how he takes that to a sci-fi and imagine something like a like a children of men in terms of incredibly yeah, like men grounded realistic is what i'm thinking yeah 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 i don't know it's it's interesting that he's never kind of gone in that direction or felt like he wanted to i guess going outside of just dramas like he makes dramas um that are just in you know that's just his wheelhouse i guess but yeah it'd be yeah. interesting to see if he what sci-fi would look like for him but i guess both of us are getting our wish with heat too so maybe yeah. we'll uh we'll be talking about that episode on the podcast in like a year or two about how great heat two was <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So that was our episode on Michael Mann. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and we hope you enjoy Ferrari. We are certainly looking forward to it. As always, please rate and review us at all the podcast platforms as well as YouTube. That really helps listeners find us and, you know, drop us a comment on YouTube as to how you're feeling about these 
actor, filmmaker episodes that we've been doing lately. Till next time, we'll see you soon. See you soon. I'm a fiend from Ojitos. <laughs> Just the best line of all time. <laughs>